Hello. Hello, everybody. This is Broom Vegan, and you'll listen to it too. Whoa! Hello everybody and welcome to Broomvagoon, your weekly dolls on singing a song. And you will not get there on a road bike. And you will get everywhere with every bike because the important thing is to get out on the bike because now it's spring and that's why I'm so happy today. And also because I'm not recording usually as usual on Tuesday mornings but it's on... it's Monday. On Monday night because Monday can be tough. Really, Mondays are really, really tough, but when you actually reach the goal of editing your podcast and talking again on the microphone and finishing this bloody day, well, you should be happy, especially if you have done happy rides for the whole weekend, and that's what happened to me. First, on Saturday, I got an amazing gravel ride up here on the hills of Zurich, and then on Sunday, it was the first time up to 1000 and stuff meters of the year on the satellite here in Zurich. If you want actually to have a ride with me, just yeah, let me know. You know my contacts, right? Hello at calamaro.cc, that's my email by the way. Let me know also if you like myself singing at the beginning of the episode. Probably you didn't, but that's another story. And let me know also if you want to ride with me or you can actually check everything around. Easy. Calamaro CC or Calamarock, as somebody said out there. But yeah, Calamaro CC on the Instagram and on Facebook, and then read Calamaro on Twitter. And remember to share this episode with all your friends. You can find this episode in all the platforms for podcasting all over the internet. So Spreaker is there, Spotify is there, Apple Podcast is there, Google Podcast is there. A couple of announcements, and then we are gonna go straight into the things. First of all, everybody remembers die, right? that I'm gonna die, probably is a sign, that I'm gonna ride from Munich to Bolz on the 4th of May. I'm still looking for a nice set of bags that I can use and I'm still waiting for your tips. But please, be fast, step out, let me know, because otherwise I'm gonna arrive too late and I don't have, I don't have time to buy it. I think I have a couple of names and brands that I want to use and probably I'm gonna move for that one, but I need also your tips. Second thing, don't forget, 14th of April, or probably it's 15th. Let me think about that. By the way, that weekend, and it's on Sunday, on Cesena, La Resistente. Lele is organizing it. I'm gonna be there letting you sign up and ride. It's gonna be an 80 kilometers, don't even try to do the short one that I think is 20 kilometers. 80 kilometers ride on the all places of the resistance, the partisan on in Romagna. Please be there, and if you are not there, go to La Resistente Cicloturistica. Anyways, go to La Resistente event on Facebook and put a like, put a like on the page or participate or whatever. You will find me there. It must be the 14th. Lele is gonna kick my ass as usual, but now it's time to go completely into the episode. Well, this episode is amazing. I just finished editing it and I had a lot of fun. Probably is one of my favorite ones, and for sure is one of the favorite ones. I interviewed Hannah Troop. I think this is the right pronunciation, or as a Spanish guy would say, Ana Trop. 
No, Anna Trupp, the um, communication and uh, content manager of DF Pro Cycling team. So you would say, what the hell, Stefano? Are you talking about pro cycling? Yes, I'm talking about pro cycling because this is really a special team, the EF pro cycling team. And also because with Hannah, you can really talk about everything. She's an amazing cyclist, a wonderful journalist, a great content producer and a podcaster. We talked about a lot of stuff, so hold tight. Take a beer, now it's spring, so take a beer and listen to that. I will talk to you at the end. Well, today I can say that I'm a bit... Don't take it personally, Anna, but I am a bit nervous because I have on the other side of the microphone exactly one person that does the things that I'm doing right now as well in a really probably more professional way. So feel free to give me tips on the ongoing one day interview, Anna. So I'm here today just to cut it short with Hannah Troop. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing? Hi, Stefano. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm really, really, really good. And I was saying also a bit nervous. So if you are seeing that I start rumbling around or stumbling upon words or whatever, it's because of this. <laughs> I think that you're, I feel that you're uh, over-egging my, my podcasting uh, credentials, but thank you anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. It's true. So just for who doesn't know who Hannah is, First of all, is Hannah Troop, right? I didn't misspell completely your name and surname. No, no, that's fine. Hannah Troop, yeah, that's fine. Perfect. You did very well, actually. Quite often, um, people from uh, I speak Spanish, so I spent quite a lot of time in Spain. And they quite often mispronounce my my surname, but you did well. Well done. Okay, and which one was the funniest one then? Uh, usually, it's like Trop. <laughs> okay. Anna yeah. Trop. <laughs> this is also the accent. I think I got it correctly. This, well, no, normally, no, my, the way I pronounce it is troop, but the, it's a lot more open. But for some reason in Spain, they, they, they want to pronounce it trop, which is okay. fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it's funny, by the way. Um, so I was, I was saying, maybe could worth it to have a bit of introduction, but instead of myself introducing yourself, probably it's better yourself speaking about yourself. And I think I said self too many times, but <laughs> <laughs> you got what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's fine. Uh, so I have been working within the cycling uh, industry for only since about uh 2016 so not actually that long um previously i used to manage marketing campaigns for a large supermarket within the uk and um and then decided to have a, a bit of a, a career change and moved into into cycling uh firstly as a journalist and then um i still do a bit a few bits and pieces of freelance but i have recently just started with uh, EF Education First Pro Cycling Team. Okay, so when you are saying that before, so something before 2016, you were um, managing some marketing campaigns, you are really talking about Excel files and numbers and launch of new campaigns and stuff like this. Uh, a little bit of that, yeah, but also just actually um, sort of project managing the campaigns and that we would uh, kind of build a campaign across the whole of the business. So I would work with all of these different departments, pulling it all together to try and get creative and and all of the brand messaging and everything like that to then push that out into the uh, across all of the omni channels of the business. 
um and yeah and just kind of manage it and to make sure that it kind of all came together and and had this clear and, and consistent message so that was kind of my day-to-day back then um so yeah so it was quite a big it was quite a big change yes yes so there is life after market marketing manager life that's great yeah <laughs> that's something that i repeat to myself every morning that i wake up because i cannot do it i studied literature and i'm not gonna say anything else i studied literature i don't know what i'm doing against excel files every day but yeah it's something yeah i mean there's a time and a place for an excel spreadsheet i'm a big fan on occasion so oh really <laughs> yeah probably because you're watching the probably because you're taking care of those just something like once every in a while so well i think but i mean for organizing daily tasks or anything like that or or i'm now thinking about press uh, sort of requests and stuff like that they can be quite handy <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. I will stop this conversation right now and we can start again talking about bicycle. So, 2016, you said that actually you started working in the cycling world in 2016. But this was really the year where we can really name your uh, first let's say um just for your first crash i mean crash in the good way not in the best in the bad way inside into cycling or you were riding the bicycle before and then everything came together later on on i don't know working on this field yeah so i i had been cycling uh before that i started doing more kind of cycling as in like cladded in lycra from around about 2011 2012 um, my dad got me into cycling actually he had a road bike and he said that I should look at trying to get one on our cycle to work scheme that we have over here in the UK and so so I did that and I went out I think one of the first bike rides I ever did was with my dad and we we only did probably about 50 kilometers but it was about two degrees I remember and it wow. was up in the north of England and I was so cold because I just didn't have proper kit and I think I was wearing trainers or something like it was just there was just nothing there to protect me from the elements. And I remember getting back after that bike ride, feeling so cold and so drained, but in love with it. So and then I carried on, obviously. OK, OK. Well, I need to ask you a sharp question, Sarna. Uh, how many bicycles do you have? Two. Two road bikes. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Okay, okay, only two. But I'm about to, I think I'm going to get another one this year. Okay, okay, just to follow the team and, yeah, get some training out of that. Yeah, definitely, I think uh, I, I might be I might be looking at a Cannondale. <laughs> uh, exactly, because I wanted to ask you, but I, I feel really, I don't know if I can ask you these questions, you know, you know, you work for a team or whatever, I wanted to ask you, which what bicycle do you have and what bicycle are you looking to buy you already named cannondale so tell me what cannondale so i quite like the the, the bikes that the team ride the evos are a really nice uh, kind of like the the climbers bike that we that we have and mm-hmm. um, i think that's one of my favorites actually so i probably might look to to try and get one of those this year um but the bike that i currently have at the moment is I have like a specialized bike, mm-hmm. um, just a, a like a, a single speed, and then I have a Fondrest as well, an Italian bike. So. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Fondrest, such a great rider he was, by the way. 
Yeah. Maurizio Fondrias, yeah, really, really good, really talented guy. He was one of the first actually spinning the legs really fast instead of grinding. Yeah. And yeah, he changed a bit the area out there. And yeah, I'm talking about the Cannondale. Yeah, I really like it as well. So clean, amazing lines. Wow. Yeah. In the new colors that match with the, the new kit this year, they look pretty good as well, actually. With what color? I didn't see it. It's kind of, it has the, uh, what, what Rafa called the oil slick, um, um, but it's that kind of pattern with the purples and the blues actually on the, the frame of the bike. So it looks, uh, it looks really cool. Okay. Ah, yeah, yeah, I got it. The one also with the super, super fancy, cool uh, font. So kind of yeah, they've changed. Yeah, they've changed the font. It looks really cool, actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. It's really, really beautiful. A lot of style out there with your team. Yeah, <laughs> it's looking good. It's looking yeah, good. it's amazing. All the time that you're, I'm watching at that, I said, "Wow." Yeah. No, it's good. It's really cool. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question. Still talking about your experience, really, with uh, riding the bicycle. Then we are gonna go through also the content thing, but. Uh, on the all events or all adventure or all rides that you have done in your life, there's something that you can remember as an highlight. Uh, from all of the rides? Yes, yes. I heard actually from the Explorer that you have done as well the uh, the Etape du Tour, right, this year? Yeah, yeah, I did that last, uh, year. last year, yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, that was, as far as rides go, that was probably... Well, one of the hardest days I had on the bike, actually, I really, really had a, a tough day that day. But the, the actual, the highlight of that day was actually getting back to Annecy after the ride and just dumping my bike with some, a group of, of people hanging around on the side of the lake in Annecy. I said, can you look after my bike? And, uh, and then kind of just went and jumped into the, into the lake in my bib shorts and I went for a swim. That was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, uh, actually, I so I've done it as well this year, the etap, last year, sorry. I don't know why. I still think that it's 2018, probably <laughs> because I'm scared of my challenges in 2019. Probably I can tell you about that later. But I was not, I really didn't get, I was not brave enough to go back <clears throat> home in Nancy with the, with the bike. With something like we parked the car somewhere close to the Le Grand Bernard and then we went back down there and it was already tough. I can't imagine how was it to go back to the finish line, back to Ansi with the bike. I was also destroyed. Yeah. Well, we actually, we went in, we'd left our car in in Grand Bonnet and we okay. got, we got uh, we'd left the car there the day before. Mm -hmm. So we then got to the finish, jumped, found the car, jumped in the car and then drove back to Annecy. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Then it makes sense. And then after that, there was swimming in the lake. Yeah. Uh, well, my friends were too were too uh, tired after the ride, so I just went solo, and it was such an amazing <laughs> feeling. It was brilliant. I love that lake; it's incredible. Yes, it's really nice. It's really yeah. really amazing lake. And there is actually maybe I don't know if for this event or for something else. There is a first of all, do you like climbing on the bike? Yeah, I definitely. I mean, it depends on on the climb, obviously. There were some climbs on that route last year that was so steep and relentless in the gradient that that was that was tough. Um, but yeah, on, on the whole, if the if the for example, when I was in Colombia um, last month for covering the race over there, 
the climbs over there, although, I mean, they were, you're climbing a quite high altitude over there. So that brings in another kind of level of, of um, challenge to it. But the, the climbs in, over there were really amazing. They were so, such lovely gradients and quite open and, oh, it was beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Then you can name for us your favorite climb to do, actually, to on the bike. Ever. Uh-huh. Um, I think that I have quite a soft spot, although people would probably argue that it's not the most beautiful climbs. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I mean, it, is, it is pretty incredible. I have a real soft spot for Quad Affair. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I've done it some years ago as well. Yeah, I can understand. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's an um, amazing descent from down from that mountain as well. Really incredible descent. I, I think I definitely enjoy descending sometimes more than climbing. But um, but yeah, that is uh, just the way you come back down into the valley and then sweep across and, and climb back out the other side. It's really amazing. So yeah, you are one of those that likes how to go... Um, that likes to go downhill as well I'm really I think I have no I don't think I have a problem I have for sure a problem <laughs> with downhills because I'm freaking scared so I cannot enjoy going downhill I can tell you that for me it's more pain it's way more painful to go down than to go up it happens for example to me with the Stelvio last year as well I really suffered way more to come down from the Stelvio than to come up to the Stelvio <laughs> Yeah, I have problems, huge problems with downhills. I need to fix this. Probably here in Switzerland, this is going to change. I don't think so. Yeah, for sure. If you're over in around Zurich, did you say? Yes. Yeah, I went, uh, I was with one of my friends who lives in Geneva and I went over there to visit him last year and we went cycling uh, over from Geneva and across into the French border and there's some really beautiful climbs around there actually and nice scenery. So for sure, you're going to, you'll get better at, at descending it's a matter of skills right and you can train skills as well yeah exactly exactly the more you do it the better you get for sure yes yes i, I really hate people that all the time are telling me but why are you so are you breaking so much what what uh, just relax what are you doing just relax it's not easy to relax when you are going 60 kilometers per hour <laughs> and you don't have much so much control on that so but yeah yeah, um, and also the thing when people say, just sit on someone's wheel and trust them. And I think I sometimes find that's really difficult to try and follow someone down, actually. Maybe, I don't know. I think that uh, I prefer to be there on my own, at my own pace and in my own space sometimes. You know what I hate the most? So, so okay, I don't like also to follow, to hold the wheel of somebody in front of me in the downhill, but something that I hate more than that it's actually with somebody sticking on your wheel behind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. okay, here I would have brake, so I would use my brake. But if I brake so much, too much, the, the person behind me can hit me. So you don't brake, and then you are scared, don't whatever. So usually I just brake completely, put myself on the side of the road, and let them pass me. And then I will go <laughs> without any problem with my 15 kilometers per hour speed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah normally if they if they want to get past you they'll get past you without a doubt so <laughs> I, okay. I think i wouldn't worry about it but i can understand that i can definitely understand that i think it's definitely more stressful in mountain biking having someone behind you i didn't used to enjoy that 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because actually that cannot pass you so... Uh, yeah. With a lot of agility, let's say. So. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, so, okay. It sounds like, yeah, a lot of writing, a lot of stuff, but probably we can move just one step on the side. And actually, at the beginning, you were mentioning that you started uh, into cycling, so into working into cycling as a journalist and a freelance journalist. And now you move to follow the communication of a pro cycling team. How was it, actually? If you can actually maybe name a couple of difference between those, and uh, how was it to move from one side to the other, I would say, of the fence? Yeah, so, I mean, I've only been working with EF um, as part of their comms team since January this year, since the beginning of January. And so and so prior to that, I had been a freelance journalist, so I had worked for publications such as Rouleur and written for cyclists, um, as well as being a part of the cycling podcast as well um, and doing sort of a series with them. And so this was kind of a real mix of with doing that freelance journalism side of it you get to experience a lot of different publications um and different how different people are working and stuff so that's quite interesting in that sense and then i think that sometimes when you when you come across to the press the communication side of things for the cycling team there is a bit of a us and them kind of probably mantra I guess in in on either side and maybe more so from the journalism side of things and so it's quite it's quite interesting that um I think that moving across to um into into EF it with with being part of with working as a freelance journalist instantly it gave me more of a feeling as being part of a team again which I'd been used to when I worked back in my previous life in marketing campaigns and so that's quite a nice environment to feel if you're in a part of a of a team um which I mean I guess I kind of was a bit with Roulette but it's still not you're not spending every day with the same group of people speaking to them constantly and stuff like that and so in that sense that has been a real real lovely side of the move is having that team around you and not only that I think that when you start to go and work for a pro cycling team it is so interconnected and interwoven how all of these relationships and these jobs work to support each other to get the goal of winning bike races or allowing the team to perform at the best it can possibly perform at and so the intricacies and the psychology of that is something that you don't experience so, so much on the journalism side because you then become part of how, although we're not as big a part of it from a comms side of point of view, we're not as big a side of it as, say, for example, like the mechanics or the soigneurs or the DS in kind of the, the psychology of how these riders perform. Um, but we still have to sort of talk to them ask them things we also with EF we do a lot of like we do feature articles and and we've done I've started the podcast with them and so they they also have to know that they obviously know that the media is a big part of their job as well so in that sense that how it all fits together is something that I didn't experience on the on the journalist side of things 
Um, I think from both sides of, of the fence, when you're at a bike race, it's mental. <laughs> like, okay. It's just full, full go, like all the time, maybe more so on the, on this, on this team side of things, because the one thing I've started to notice on the team side of things, okay, when you're a, when you're a journalist, there's a bit more sway on what time you can leave here. Or, I mean, there's certain things where if you don't get out of a, out of a town or a city ahead of a race, then you can kiss goodbye to get into the finish of that stage or 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 it will be there'll be certain logistic things like that that you have to really think about but at the end of the day normally when you're a journalist there's probably only maybe one two three of you in a car getting from a to b when you're part of a cycling team there's like 15 people who have to get from a to b but then also stop off at goodness how many other places in between that a and b and so that's when you start to then look at the logistics side of what it means to get the, that team to do to turn up at the start of a race to make sure that they're there for for their sign on to then make sure that they've got all of their bead ons they've got all of the the feeds that they need to make sure that the swanniers are back at the finish line in time to before the race arrives there so they can be there for them at the finish line there's just so much that goes into that moving movement forward is just incredible and i have joked <laughs> or this the ds's have joked with me this year they're like hannah the race waits for no one. I have a fear that you're going to get lost or left in a field in the middle of nowhere in Belgium at some point this year because there's just so much to learn. There's a protocol to how a team races that has to be learned. And if you don't learn it very quickly, you can very soon find yourself left on the side of a road somewhere thinking, oh, damn it. I've not got a lift back. <laughs> and nobody will come and pick you up again. No, you just have to. I mean, this is what actually happened in Australia. Okay. We were in one of the stages. I think it was on the first day of the tour down under or the, first, the second day of the tour down under. There'd been a mi miscommunication between one of the DSs, our president of the company, and my boss as well, of which car we were going to go back in. And so when we left the bus where the riders were to go across to where we thought the car was that we were going to go back in, that had left. Then by the time we got back to where the finish was, where the bus had been parked, it had gone. So we were left. We were like, oh, no. No way. And so, and so my boss was like, I have never been left at a race. <laughs> and it was like, so the next thing we had to jump out and flag like the AG2R Le Mondial Mm -hmm. uh, team bus down and hitch a lift back with them thankfully and got back to the hotel but there's just so much like that that you just have to try and learn <laughs> and yeah it's uh it's you have to have it's a it's a steep learning curve because if you don't learn quick then like i said you're, you're left in a field somewhere in belgium <laughs> okay and belgium is still okay because anyways i think that if you walk a bit it's not so big let's put it in that way belgium is not so big so if you just are somewhere in the middle of nowhere i think that you can just walk something like five kilometers you will, you will find a train station but in australia yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can be i don't know you can be hidden by a kangaroo it's come on 
<laughs> I mean, there's definitely some animals out there that you don't want to spend too much time with, maybe. But um, but yeah, so it's but you know, it also uh, tenacity is a is a great thing to have as well when you have to follow bike races. So yeah, um, but. The question that I wanted to ask you here on that point, so it sounds like from how you are describing it, that actually once that you are part of a cycling team and you are in the middle of a race, actually is not that, okay, but I'm a communication manager or I'm the bike mechanic or uh, whatever, I'm just going to do my stuff and that's it. Once that you are in the team, you are all in. You need to be there and be useful for different tasks. You need to be multitasking, isn't it? you do but then also it's very much you kind of the way that it works well is that everyone knows what they have to do as part of their role and so of course we will for example when we were in Australia um we were handing out bidons at certain feeds um along or around on the on the different stages so I had to learn quite quickly how to hand the bidons out which is quite like you realize that's the that was a bit of a scary moment, actually. I was I was actually shaking after I gave up my first bead on, just with like the um, just the uh, adrenaline of having a peloton speeding at you at forty five kilometers <laughs> per hour, holding a bead on out, thinking, "Oh my god, please don't let me take them down! Please don't let me take them down!" Um, so yeah, so that's quite scary. So, and also, I mean, we obviously were asked to help and stuff, but everyone really, the way that it functions so well is because that everyone knows what they've got to do when they've got to do it. And it kind of, it just meshes together and goes forward most of the time. I've not, I've not seen anything go wrong yet, but, uh, touch wood. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because no, I'm thinking, sorry, about my, really my mind continues eating on this direction, but Really, you just were ending over bidons on the peloton, spinning at you at fifty kilometers per hour. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, was, super scary. It it was scary. It was scary, but it was quite funny because um, after doing it for a few, like for, after doing it for a couple of days, obviously some of the guys I were with, they've been used to doing it, so they can like hand out three bidons in one one sitting of the peloton coming past. And I was just managing it for at first just to get one off. And then um, and then by the, I think it was like the, the third, second or third stage, I can't remember. Uh, I remember Alberto Bettiola came over to me afterwards and he said, hey, you got rid of all three of your bottles today. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well done. I was like, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it definitely is uh, it's an art form. Because uh, I think quite often people's natural reaction is to pull their arm in and you've obviously you can't. You just need to leave it there um, and, uh, yeah, and, and just like get them to, to take it. And also the riders will also have – will struggle sometimes if it's going at such a pace or they've just – like, for example, um, if they've just come off a, a cobbled section or, or like, say, for example, the gravel sections that – at Strada, like the adrenaline that's pumping through those guys at that moment in time, they also have to try and deal with that and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, the uh, <laughs> the feeding of a bike race is definitely an art form. 
Yes, yes, for sure it's an art because yeah, I cannot really, I cannot figure it out how these guys are just going at that pace. Maybe they are tired or maybe they are not or they have the adrenaline or whatever and they just catch some random bags or random bidons or whatever and then without any problem just start eating and drinking and put them on their neck and taking stuff and pulling stuff out and pushing it to their, into their pockets and stuff. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely. they're used to do that. So that's the thing. When you are not used to do that, then it can be scary, really. But yeah, yeah at the end of the day, you handle the task the task without any problem. Well, and also you think about the riders when they come back to the team cars to get and they load up with kind of seven or eight bottles in their down their jersey. I mean, that's in is impressive how they're able to do that as well. So yeah, it's definitely uh They've got some skills within those uh, within those guys and girls, that's for sure. Yeah, that's why the role of the domestic is so fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe if we can if we can just move still a bit more into the EF team or whatever. So the EF team, it's something that is really trying and probably is doing uh, to use something like to make a bit of a revolution, revolutionize a bit the peloton itself because they're trying to change the communication. They're you, actually. You're trying to change the communication, the style itself, the way of riding and stuff like this. Would you see yourself or something like if you want to say, if you would have started another adventure with another pro team or whatever, would you see yourself in something less... Uh, out of the box than EF Education First Pro Team or you think you found the perfect environment out there? I think that the, I mean, from all of the teams and what they're doing, things, people are definitely kind of taking note or there's, things are definitely kind of changing, whether it's to do with how races are viewed or how races are raced or or how there's an interaction with fans and and there's definitely you can see that's that's evolving um and even the way that we consume racing through media um and that has changed or is changing quite a lot as well and i think that um the way that ef is kind of come on board with this is they are really using that team as a marketing tool for their business which is what it should be used as and so the way that they are investing in that is has been really impressive and speaking to the riders the riders have said over the last few weeks that they can feel this energy and this drive behind them from EF and from all of the staff working and they said that they can't expressed how much motivation that gives them for racing and you see this year that in the first well up until now we've won more races this year than what we did in the whole of last year yeah and so you can definitely see that in the team there's a real step on and I think at the moment the way that EF is supporting the team and is is quite exemplary in the fact of how how they're using it to guide their content to to 
make people aware of their brand and it's it, that is a really exciting thing to be a part of really exciting thing to be a part of i'm um yeah i'm really enjoying it yeah actually i just want to make a couple of comments on the thing that you said so uh, the first one is a bit more related to the sports side of uh, the team the f team is that you can really understand how much is consolidated the team itself, also thanks to uh, the EF support on that and actually the motivation, the extra push and really something that is really um, gluing up together everything. And this is actually how many good results the team is having in the team, tri in team tile trial. I said it correct. I always have a problem because the too many T are confusing <laughs> myself. But the team time trial. And you can see because this is really a team effort. And uh, you can really see over there that the EF team itself is doing great work out there. And the second thing that I want to put there as a comment is that, okay, education first, everybody knows education first and actually small brackets here. I know them very well as a competitor because my former company was another language learning company. So I can see the point. And all the time I can see that actually probably uh, the main goal of education first is the thing is that getting people to know the old world, something like another uh, culture, other culture and things like this. And still thinking, thinking about something like putting things together, so gluing up things, is exactly what a cycling team does because a cycling team moves, uh, put together a team, multicultural team, a multinational team, uh, putting together people, people with different culture and moving them all over the globe. And that's what a language does. Yeah, I think the the fit for cycling or a cycling team with EF is it's just it can it makes so much sense. Um, and in that in that way, there's such a this relationship that you have between this company and and the bike team is probably is it fits so well. And it's not, and because of that, that's why you can see that they want to really use that, that and show that we have a team full of so many different riders that speak a range of different languages. I mean, that's the beauty about, of it. I mean, for me, languages has always been a passion of mine anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I moved abroad when I was 20 to go and learn another language and I went to learn Spanish. And, and so it i mean that again was another reason why working for this company has been a, for me a really great fit as well but the what you get from from that being in that team and and you just all of a sudden you go through a day and you realize that you've heard so many different languages being spoken around you oh it's a real kind of it's a buzz that you that you get from it and um and uh, yeah it's like I think when I learned to speak Spanish when I was younger, it's been one of those things that over the years has given me so many advantages or has been something that if I've been in interviews or anything like that and I've talked about going abroad, moving abroad, spending a year in a different culture, learning a different language and being able to converse and, and have that relationship with different cultures is it has been so invaluable it's been incredible yes and uh, yeah 
it's comp I completely agree with you because, okay, you can still live abroad or go abroad as a tourist and speak English or speak any other language that is not the local language. But when you start talking with locals in their own language, this really unlocks you a lot of doors and as well the doors of the heart of the people because you're really getting a bit more of um, a good relation with them. You can talk with them in a different way. You can get inner tips and inner jokes way better and uh, spreading this culture or getting another language and go outside and uh, really get into the, the the country itself with speaking the local language well this is i think is a message that ef is really with the cycling team in in particular it's really working on really good yeah definitely 100% yeah it's good it's good fun to see and how many languages do you speak then? I was talking about this. So I only speak two fluently, Spanish and, and obviously English. Um, but I can understand bits and pieces of French and Italian. And I did live in Germany for a while. So there's a little bit of German that I can understand, but very, very little. <laughs> so I need to consolidate and start to actually get a third language in in the bag <laughs> okay well don't tell me about speaking so i've been living in germany now i live in switzerland this the, uh, the german part of switzerland and don't speak in the language because this is one of the biggest pain of my life i was <laughs> i have been living in berlin for four years now in general in german speaking country for five years and a bit and not speak so i can speak german only with the taxi driver when i ask them to bring me home because i drank too much <laughs> It's generally hard, especially if you come from uh, Latin-based languages. Um, I found German found German very hard to to learn, um, and yeah, it's kind of uh, it's definitely the the grammar of it is uh, it's got some some complexities and and logics that only I think German people really understand. <laughs> I remember I got once a conversation with one guy. I was out, I think I was in a bar or whatever. And I said, oh, sorry, but I don't speak. He asked me a question in German and then I answered him in English. Sorry, I don't speak English. I don't speak German. Sorry. Uh, what did you say? And he told me, no, no worries. So you don't have to be sorry for not speaking German. I would never speak German <laughs> if it would not have been German itself. It's so tough. I say, okay, then I'm excused. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've had German people say that to me before as well, actually. They're, they're well aware of it, the complexities of it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can all see that. Yeah. Uh, so, EF, continue talking about the EF team. Um, you crashed into the cycling world and the pro cycling roads racing saying... Okay, this is going to be not only a road team, like there are so many out there, but we are going to focus also in something else. So we are going to ride as well Dirty Kansa, for example, so some gravel riding, by the way, one of my favorite races around. And we are going to also take part uh, to some of the ultra races, so probably Transcontinental and Transam. And stuff that is not going to happen, but they you mentioned this at the beginning as well, uh, also in some fixed gear racing. So the F team uh, got inside the cycling, the road cycling world saying, okay, it's not going to only be about road cycling, but we want to embrace cycling as a whole there. Uh, 
why do you think this happened and how do you see actually the cycling world is more and more people or more and more team let's say let's talk about people are more and more people um getting this culture or being into cycling as a whole and also an aspiration and not only watts and performances or it's something special only from the f team i think that people so i used to work for a german magazine in uh, not writing in german they did it in german and in in english yeah Ron um, Fondo, right yeah okay and um and that kind of was one of these magazines that decided to go against the grain of the following the pr- traditional pro cycling and just focusing solely on that they kind of said that they wanted to bring back fun into cycling and relieve it of the the what counting and the kilometer counting and stuff like that and so what was quite interesting is that you I think over the last few years there's been a a definite shift in in kind of a mindset of what how cycling is being defined by people in the sense so don't get me wrong there's still people that go out there obviously and are massively into the the performance side of it and all of the data and stuff like that but then there's other people as well who have kind of said actually you know what I just want to go out there and ride my bike and the whole of the off-road the gravel kind of sector has been something I mean it's been around for years like the first races of the Tour de France would go over mountains and gravel roads and stuff but it's kind of had this um moment where it started to re-emerge again and it's become this kind of uh, side of cycling that is um sort of I don't know maybe it's it's considered as kind of like the the thing to do at the moment and it's kind of that kind of got that cool factor wrapped around it and stuff and and the whole bike packing thing and so I think that that was something that was noted um particularly by by EF as well by the team and there's a real I think there's a real worry that if that the teams become too um too inaccessible to fans and it was way of thinking how okay do we reconnect with cycling fans or how do we connect with new cycling fans who may come into it and don't like because when you first come into uh, pro cycling and try and understand the tactics like why is one cyclist good at at going up a mountain why is another cyclist suited to riding over the cobblestones in the in Belgium and the north of France and and so there was there's quite a lot of complexity and that can be quite mind-boggling and probably maybe a little bit scary for some people sometimes and I think when you go to something like a gravel like go on a gravel section and stuff like that people everyone can understand by getting on a bike the enjoyment that you get from getting on a bike everyone can relate to that quite easily and so I think EF wanted to then have this crossover of okay we we still obviously care very much about pro cycling and pro peloton and stuff like that because that's where we mainly at but it's also then how can we do things where we also try and connect to fans as well and show them that actually we are accessible. We do want 
them to be a part of our journey and stuff like that and so it's also about that whole reconnection thing as well um that maybe sometimes you felt that it was a bit lost or that it was maybe a bit of a barrier for new fans coming in so it's about trying to get new fans to understand and love cycling really and and so this is kind of why that has they've gone um down that that road as well so yeah, I can see actually probably that it's also trying to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put in your mouth words that are not coming for you or from EF, uh, cultural things that are not in their um, in their angle. But the thing that I can see is that also showing to all the fans out there that cyclists themselves are people that enjoy going on the bicycle. So they're not riding the bicycle just because it's their profession and they actually, they are on the bike and they hate the bikes because it's too much pain, it's too much suffering or stuff like this. But actually there are people that likes to go out with the bicycle, enjoying some new roads, uh, exploring the outdoor and having fun just on going out and yeah, enjoying, simply enjoying being on the bicycle. And that's what it is actually taking part to events that are not only related to uh, yeah, to the pro riding and to uh, competition itself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at riders on the team that we've got like Taylor Finney and, and Lachlan Morton as well, who have been out and done rides where they've kind of gone off the beaten track and and they that's been a, a real important way for them to reconnect with the bike themselves, um, especially Lachlan. And then you also look at but other other teams as well. You look at kind of um I think it was Thomas again and Tim Wellens last year. They did it. Um Larry Warbass and Connor Dern as well did their um, no-go tour. So it's definitely kind of been a thing that uh, there's quite a few pro cyclists that have taken up and and started doing a bit more of that as well, which is, which is I mean, that's good to see. It's good to see that there's, it's, at the end of the day, bikes, riding a bike in, or racing a bike and, and stuff is, is so multifaceted. There's so many different disciplines that you can, you can do on a bike. And, and I think that's a good way to try and mix it up and, and keep it exciting. I mean, you look at even in the women's peloton at the moment, um, Anna van der Breggen has gone into mountain biking and she's doing Cape Epic this week um, with one of her teammates whose name has just escaped me. I can't remember now. Um, and and they've kind of done the switch where um, her, she's gone over to mountain biking and... Um, and her her other teammates come over onto the road and they've kind of and they've switched and and it's nice to see that you know they can you can still go off and do and try other things and teams are allowing that which is amazing and you look at Anna she's an incredible a phenomenal cyclist um she's she's world champion and and yet her team have said no it's fine if you want to go off and and, and do mountain biking this year that take some time out and go and go and do it and really sort of channel yourself into that and enjoy that kind of thing and there's other riders as well who are like that you look at uh Yolanda Neff is another one Pauline Ferran Provo is another one who does that multi-discipline where she's um cyclocross mountain biking road racing and stuff like that and I think it's I think it's a really healthy thing for for riders to be able to do to be fair 
Yes, yes, it's true. So something like uh, people that not only in the off season or cyclists, not only in the off season or whatever, they just want to at a certain point just switch on the other side because it's something that can give you something like recharge their battery. Yeah, exactly. And, and enjoying the bike. Yes. You just touch base for a bit, a slight, slightly something that I really, really care a lot, and I talk a lot of times actually in this podcast and also in general with people. You touch the point and the topic of female cycling, women cycling. You have been following it for a bit of time, and now, how can you see if there is an evolution? Can you see an evolution? And now, do you see actually the evolution of women cycling in the next future? Yeah, I think that, so I kind of started out covering women's cycling mainly when I first came into into cycling journalism. And so I found, I mean, the, the differences between women's cycling and men's cycling is still so vast. Um, it's, it's incredible. Um, and it's... Um, it's something that is definitely coming closer. Um, it's sometimes it feels like it's going a few steps forwards and then takes a, a few back, um, which can be which can be quite frustrating. Um, but on the whole, I think there is definitely this. It's definitely pushing and, and driving in, in the right way. You look at now how many men's teams also have women's teams and or, and just how much they are investing into that. Um, that's something that is, is starting to happen across a lot of the uh, men's cycling world, which I think will keep growing and growing and growing. That will keep on, on happening and developing in that sense. Um, but it's just also from a race organizer's point of view, um, there's quite a lot of race organizers that are, are putting more effort into women's races, allowing equal pay. It's not that many races, but it's definitely, there's been some standout races like the, the Women's Tour um, and the Tour de Yorkshire that are some of the the ones that I can think of that have started to make sure that the, the pay pot is the same for both their, their men's and women's races. Um, and not only that, it's the, the actual level of women's racing is, is stepping up. I mean, that is the other thing that even I think in the last few years that I started covering cycling has been something that is you've I've I, even I've seen that level increase in such a short space of time, and you look at for example, um, like for example Annemiek van Vluten, an amazing rider. She's winning so much stuff at the moment. Recently, just winning Strada Bianchi, and she she's now starting. You look at her, and she's now starting to train in the way that the men. She's even training with the men. She's been on training camps with the Mitchelton Scott guys and gone out training with them, and and she's living at altitude for so many weeks before big races and stuff. And so the way the mindset of the female peloton and how it's starting to move just means that the level of of the peloton is starting to go up quite 
uh, from like quite uh, exponentially as well. And that will just keep growing and growing and growing. Um, and that's what's that's it's really exciting to see, actually. Really exciting. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool and exciting. And actually, all of us is seeing this evolution that is really getting there, at least in terms of performance, because, OK, just maybe um, pulling out the conversation from the peloton and going on the bikepacking ultra endurance one. Lyle Wilcox actually showed to everybody that a woman is capable of smashing the an ultra endurance race like the Transam, being first and beating the record of of it. So we know that in terms of performance, there are no differences out there. The only difference that I can see between um, men peloton and women peloton at the moment is actually apart from obviously the prices and the money that is involved out of it. But I think it's a consequence of the media coverage. So. Yeah. I believe that at a certain point, if, okay, still, unfortunately, media coverage is led by TV because that's how the money are made, right? Something like showing um, the women's racing in general races to a lot, a, a, a huge bunch of people. Um, but I believe that probably some efforts like the one that the F is putting on, something like really building up a communication framework um, where you are putting together um, social media podcasts, um, articles and videos and everything. This can be a game changer. So would you think that actually the effort to have a better coverage in female, um, yeah, in women cycling is a, can actually start directly from the team themselves or the clubs themselves? Or is everything in the hands of the media? I think the the biggest issue that the women's peloton uh, and women's cycling has is TV. Okay. That would be the game changer. Mm. If if it was able to be watched more the what that then opens up and connects within the strands of how professional and, and the strands of success is so interlinked with or needs tv to be one of the bases for that growth a hundred percent and that's where unfortunately it kind of it it's almost kind of like the glass ceiling isn't it you unless you have something like that to help you get break through that then unfortunately it doesn't you you'll never be able to get to it i think and that's and this is the thing that's that needs to change. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Once that actually, um, the doors of the media of TV actually they're gonna be unlocked for women cycling. Then that's the point that actually you're gonna see more earnings because more sponsors are gonna get in and things like this. Hopefully, it's gonna change soon. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I just would love for actually to touch one other single point, hopefully, uh, that is not going to let for another hour conversation. I think that can happen between me and you, I believe. <laughs> but uh, the other topic is something that's, uh, okay, I think it's pretty clear. That's something that is really close to my heart and it's podcasting. So today I'm, I was saying at the beginning, 
I'm pretty nervous because I'm interviewing one person on the other side who knows a lot about podcasting. So just to mention a couple of experience, you mentioned the cycling podcast. I mentioned the Explorer. Then there was also another podcast that now I don't remember that seen have seen you involved. And then there is as well the EF Dispatch, that is the podcast of Education First. Yeah. Well, the thing that I want to ask you is... Which kind of way, or even better, which kind of path um, podcasting, the podcast themselves, can follow that is different uh, in the media for telling the story of cycling? Because there are differences between articles, videos, and podcasts, and every different medium has a different way of telling a different story. Which story, which angle is owned by podcasting to tell a different, to telling cycling from a different angle? Um, I think that, I think with, with podcasting, when you, when you get to hear emotion through audio, that is very powerful. Um, I think that, I think with, with the written form, the way you are able to describe, for example, a landscape or something like that is, is probably, it can be done maybe better through, through words. Um, and then obviously if you have photography as well, that opens that up. Um, but I think that with, with podcasting, it's, you can, you can hear straight away an emotion that's coming from someone and whether that's at the end of a race and you can hear someone's frustrations that something's not gone right elation that something has gone right or even things where there's been been crashes and and stuff like that there's been moments where with the cycling podcast I know that they've they've spoken to riders after a teammate's crashed or something like that and you really kind of get the the full kind of feeling come through from them um and so that's why i think that that podcasting is a brilliant format for that and but then also when you have people tell stories and they tell it in in their own words and you get to hear it, that's something that's quite amazing as well. Um, I think back to doing Explore and and we we interviewed, um, I mean, there was so many different people that we interviewed for that, that series. But, uh, for example, there's interviews with kind of like Ishbel Holmes or Jenny Graham. And so... Jenny Graham obviously had broken the the world record for cycling around the world last year and just her telling that story and her taking you on that story was something that podcasting was so brilliant for um because you re you really get let into into something and 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 then there's also other interviews which they can so for example uh my colleague he interviewed um he interviewed um mike hall's um widow 
and that interview oh, was really powerful it was it it was such a an emotional interview um and i think that i mean i love i love words as well i love reading and read and read and read a lot and so i wouldn't ever want it to completely replace that but there is something about podcasting that is kind of it has a different way of being able to translate emotion and and a situation really really well yeah i can completely see the point and i really like as well the comparison that you were doing between um the description of a landscape or as well the description of a situation that is i think its best its best form is with a written article okay picture as well but the written article really can uh transmit and actually translate to the uh the mind of the of the people that are reading it uh really the emotion and the feeling from the person that is writing while on the other side really the um, feeling of people really people's feeling people's emotion or whatever they are at the best shape while they are uh told via the voice of the direct protagonist so yeah I can completely see your point and it's a perfect point of view. I really like it. I think I'm going to use your words in the future. If somebody <laughs> will ask me that, but I really like your point of view. <laughs> well, that, that's marketing speak coming out, I think. <laughs> no. I, I know. Um, I, it's marketing. Yes, it is. Actually, I have to sell my product as well. So it works. <laughs> Cool, great. Well, Anna, I wanted to ask you, uh, I think we are just wrapping up everything. Also, it's one hour, but yeah, we can continue on that just with another couple of things. First of all, which one are the next chapter of your year with Education First and with Cycling? So where am I going next? Exactly. So I will be going next week to Belgium and we'll be there for E3. Um, and Ghent, Wevelgem, and then I will be staying in Belgium right up until Paris-Roubaix. So it's basically going to be about three weeks, uh, another three weeks on the road, and um, and spending quite a lot of time over there, um, trying to stay away from moors and frites <laughs> <laughs> and, and too much beer. <laughs> Okay, yeah, come on. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You cannot stay away from beer in Belgium, come on. It's hard, it's very difficult to do. Yeah. I can tell you that I've been, uh, I've ridden twice the Tour de Flanders only yeah. for that. Something like, because the feeling of having in your hand an amazing Belgian beer at the end of, I was doing the medium one, so 140 kilometers after the old walls that they have there, and drinking that beer has no price, really. It's amazing. Yeah, it is good. You only probably need about one after doing the Tour of Flanders and you'll be well and truly on your way. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I can tell you that actually also my um, Flandrinian, that mostly we are talking about the, the language of that side, let's say I don't want to say Dutch because I don't want to offend everybody, but also let's say my language in Belgium, in the Flanders, improves a lot after a couple of beers and so I can talk with taxi drivers also there. Yeah, your Flemish comes out all of a sudden. Exactly, the Flemish is perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> comes out on that. Well, perfect. I don't know. Do you have something else to add? Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, well, it's been good to finally actually get the time in the diary and catch up and and have a chat. So, um, well done for persisting. And 
it's been yeah it's been good to chat to you today yes 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 it was really really a great pleasure and if it will happen actually that you will come here to switzerland or in zurich or whatever to follow the team or whatever else bring your bicycle and we're gonna have a ride together I will do. I will do. I have to confess, though, I think since I've joined the cycling team, I ride my bike less than what I did when I didn't work in cycling, which is uh, I, I now have become a bit more of a runner. Unfortunately, I've just spoiled the whole podcast, haven't I? Sorry. <laughs> but let's put it in that way. Is it because, uh, OK, I don't want to put it in that way. Let's put it in the other way. Uh, you are telling me that because so you cannot ride a bicycle because you don't have time or just because you don't have the possibility to bring the bicycle with you or just you because you don't want to smash any pro cyclists close to you because you are stronger than that <laughs> um i think it's more to do with time and also not being able to um take my bike all over the world with me i think that's uh that's i mean i could take my bike but having to travel and carry a load of stuff anyway is uh, it's not the easiest of traveling companions is it so um what's quite nice though is that the at the team we have a good the staff there's a good core group of, of runners that we go out running quite a lot together which is again another team building exercise so it's good it's nice i like it okay i can borrow one of my bicycle if you want then if you're coming here excellent uh, that's I great think that's yeah more or less <laughs> the size is more or less the same i can give you one of mine that's fine i'll hold you to that <laughs> <laughs> no problems no problems cool hannah it was really a great 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 pe pleasure good luck for the future for the flanders for the beers for the races for the podcast for everything and i will talk to you soon brilliant thank you same to you ciao 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 well, people, I believe that at a certain point I will go out with something like a Google form or whatever, a survey, to understand from your side which one was your favorite interview. For sure, if I have to vote, this is going to be in my top three. I got a lot of fun. It was so cool. Amazing point of views. And uh, yeah, now I'm on it. And I really hope that she's going to come here in Zurich so we can ride together with Hannah and she can get one of my bicycle. Probably... The 3T Explorer would be perfect for her because I can take my hammer out there on the uh, gravel rides because anyways, it's still it's a strong bike and her, and her for her can be no problems actually for taking over my 3T Explorer. By the way, thanks 3T for the support for this podcast as usual. I forgot to say that at the beginning of my podcast. I wanted to tell you something else, but I probably forgot. Well, I will continue go through saying that I hope that you enjoyed it and that you can always find me on the Instagram, CC or Calamarock, like somebody said, as I was telling you before. Then Facebook, same thing, CC. Hello at Calamaro.cc, that's my email. And don't forget to share and push out these episodes around with your friends, family and whoever. It's super easy. You will find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, and everything else that is there around. Well, I still didn't remember what I wanted to tell you. Give me one second. I'm going to think about that. I just needed to focus for in a couple of seconds. That's why I paused the recording and now I'm here again. It's super easy. Shift Cycling Culture did it again. So, okay. The main person out there is my friend Lian. Hi Lian, how are you doing? It's just an excuse. I know that you will understand this inner joke. But they are out again and they are gonna do another clunkers 
ride. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Well, I will just give you a bit more of context. So ship cycling culture is uh, this association that they're trying to make cycling a bit more sustainable. And in order to do that, their main event, let's say, is the clunkers ride. What is it? Easy. A ride, a super easy ride, using your B bicycle, let's say. The bicycle that you're using for commuting, the bicycle that you are just storing in your cellar and is full of dust. Because bicycle don't, to be fun, don't need to be brand new and super uh, light and whatever. You just need to be in, in love with a bicycle and with the idea of going out with a bicycle and to have fun of that. In order to do that, they're organizing this clunkers ride. So a bicycle ride only for clunkers. That are, even if they're not clunkers, it's fine. It's just that the bicycle that are not, that you should reuse again to fall in love with it again. And this is gonna happen in several cities of the world on the 4th and 5th of May, obviously. I cannot participate to that, that's why it's just an excuse tattoo is gonna arrive on my arm. Um, because I'm gonna do the uh, Munich to Bolzen, and John, John Woodruff, you know him, right? Told me, why don't you do it with your clunker? I don't know if I can finish it with my clunker for that, and probably I'm gonna use another bicycle, but still... It's okay, that's just an excuse, again, but... All around the world, there's gonna be this event. It's gonna be here, I can see that the cities right now are Seattle, Bristol, Brighton, Berlin. For sure, there's gonna be something in Amsterdam, I'm sure of that. And a lot of parts here in Europe and all over the world. So in order to know more about that, just go on shiftcyclingculture.com and you will find more about that. And uh, also follow them in all the social media, Facebook and Instagram and everything like this. And once that you talk with them and once that you participate to this event, just say that clunker rides are amazing. And Stefano, this is just an excuse again. I think we are all here and we said everything. What else I want to say here? Nothing, right? Goodbye. Talk to you next week. It was really great pleasure. Stay with you on the Broomvagoon. <laughs>